Hello and welcome to The Diverse Bookshelf with me, Samia Aziz. On this show, I interview incredible authors doing a deep dive into important themes and issues while talking all things books. I'm really honoured to be hosting the incredible Abby Dare on the show today. Abby Dare is the author of The Girl with the Louding Voice, which was a New York Times bestseller, a Read with Jenna Today Show book club pick and an Indie Next pick. She grew up in Lagos, Nigeria and went on to study law at the University of Wolverhampton and has an MSc in International Project Management from Glasgow Caledonian University as well as an MA in Creative Writing at Birkbeck University of London. Abby lives in the UK with her husband and two daughters who inspired her to write her debut novel. The Girl with the Louding Voice is an inspiring story of a teenage girl called Aduni who was growing up in a rural Nigerian village. Instead of going to school and playing with her friends, Aduni is actually a domestic worker working for a family in Lagos. She longs to get an education so that she can find her louding voice and speak up for herself. This is a tale about the power of fighting for your dreams. And despite the seemingly insurmountable obstacles in her path, Aduni never loses sight of her goal of escaping the life of poverty that she was born into so she can build the future that she chooses for herself and help other girls like her to do the same. Aduni shows us how one courageous young girl can inspire us all to reach for our dreams and maybe even change the world. In this novel, Abidare writes about child labour, child marriage, infertility, status of women and the power of education. I'm so pleased she's my guest today. Hi Abby, thank you so much for joining me on the Diverse Bookshelf today. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So to start with, I want to know where the idea for the story of the girl with the louding voice came from. And what inspired you to write the book and how did you develop the character of Aduni? So the book was inspired by my childhood growing up in in Lagos, where it was very common for families to have housemaids. Uh, So often young girls working. I think the character for Aduni really was my own way of trying to hear the voices the story, the real story behind the lives that these girls have lived. It wasn't a way to put any one of them in a box, but it was what I imagined their lives would be like. And also to kind of put a human touch and a human story behind many of the girls. And I say that because uh, the maids that I knew uh, that, that we had and families around us had tended to be seen or treated as objects. So they would come in as if they had no background, no history, no desires or hopes or dreams and and come to work and then they're gone. So they'll be with us or with whoever family sort of six months and then move on to something else. So you've never really, there's hardly ever any chance to bond Mm. or to know these girls. Of course, there were people that had housemates for 10 years. And, you know, I know people like that, but it wasn't the norm. It wasn't the common thing. And so I think that was kind of why I wrote the story mm-hmm. um, really for myself more than for anybody else. Mm. And I think it's such an important theme that, that you are writing about, which is this sort of informal domestic labor, which doesn't just happen in, in Nigeria where the book is set, but in many places around the world, it is one of the most sort of worrying <laughs> forms of, of labor that exists because the fact that it is sort of underpaid and people mm-hmm. are are undervalued and you know there's there's been cases 
um, around the world where like girls have disappeared or like faced huge issues when it comes to being abused or being locked up or sold on and it's just it's it's really 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 sad and quite uh, worrying actually and so you said that the book was inspired by your own your own sort of childhood and growing up and what you experienced in terms of people having these domestic workers now I always find it really interesting because I think when we look at something when we're adult we have mm you know, we're able to have an opinion and we're able to understand it from like a moral standpoint. And we, and mm-hmm. especially if it's something that happened in the past, but what, what was it like for you growing up around that? Like as a child, do you remember like how you felt or were you surprised by anything that you were witnessing with regards to these girls that were working in homes? No, I, I don't think so. I think that when you're born into a certain culture and a norm, you accept it as it is. Mm. You, you might have some questions, but surprise is not what you feel. You don't mm-hmm. feel surprised. You don't feel shocked. You just wonder, okay, why? So I used to wonder, why am I going to school mm. and this girl is at home, you know? Mm. Or why is, you know, this girl um, sort of not very well treated, not in my house, but in houses around me? Maybe, Maybe the odd shock and surprise at, um, a very very bad sort mm. of treatment but it was the norm and everybody did it and and even till now it still is the norm it's still very accepted I think what is changing is the fact that the world is a global village now and people are realizing or recognizing that the fact that something is a norm doesn't mean that you have to accept mm. it or that you can't change aspects of it um, mm. to make lives better mm. for everybody else so I always say when I'm talking about this that I don't have a, an issue with labor what i have an issue with is child labor yeah. is the ill treatment of maids or houseboys or house girls by families it's the injustice meted out to these people mm. um that bothers me and that needs to have a law around and that needs to stop yeah absolutely i, I fully agree with that and it's actually really interesting uh, to think about how we just accept things that everybody mm. around us is doing um mm-hmm. and and I guess because I'm looking at it anyway and I guess to some extent now that you're an adult as well we look at it from the outside and we come with our own set of values and our own set of experiences and we try and impose mm. that on something else and it's not a fair way of doing things because actually you know we need an understanding that things are more nuanced and complicated and these mm. are systems of power and systems of society that have been around for centuries so yeah that's a that's really interesting and and absolutely I think obviously the focus of the book is on on child labor it's on a girl that you know is desperate to break free of uh of the chains that she finds herself in and she wants to pursue an education and I you know I love that mm. focus of the book like I thought it was so important and I work in the charity sector as well and this is one of the mm. things that I'm really interested in <laughs> and I think there's something like 140 billion girls that are not in school due to poverty mm-hmm. and what we see then is a lot of them are either begging or they're in mm. involved in some sort of crime or mm-hmm. they are doing work in people's homes like Aduni is and actually they should mm-hmm. they should be in school mm-hmm. um so I wanted to talk to you I wanted to get your kind of your thoughts on education and why you decided to write a book that was promoting education in such a great way thanks for that question I think that 
we often, and when I say we, I mean we that are privileged and have access to to education to in many parts of the Western world, free education. Hmm. Um, we often forget how much of a privilege it is and how it makes a major difference in your life and the choices you make and the decisions that you you make for yourself and for your family. Hmm. I think that looking at the statistics, like you said, and understanding that particularly girls are at a huge disadvantage and they suffer disproportionately when it comes to being taken out of school because they're seen as um, domesticated and seen as objects or entities that belong in the kitchen and should become, you know, should get married and, and do everything their husband tells them or what their father tells them. And while all these things have a place in society, I believe that an education allows a girl to make informed choices mm-hmm. when and I mean both girls and boys but I'm talking about girl the girl child now allows her to make informed choices when that time comes to decide what she wants to become for herself and also to not be ignorant and not be cheated and to be able to to leave a legacy and to to empower her nation and to contribute towards um, wealth of the society so that the advantages are, uh, are sort of innumerable but I realized that not a lot of people re- appreciate that because we have access to it and we see it as, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just there. I don't want to go to school. I'm not bothered about it. But if we if we take this away, what we have is a deficit society. Mm-hmm. And so I see it as a fundamental right, a fundamental human right. It's like, to me, it's like a right to life mm-hmm. because it gives life. And then what you always say to my daughters, you know, I say what you decide to do after the first sort of, 12 to 16 years I, I would say you know the first sort of 16 years getting education what you decide to do after that is shaped by those first 16 years of your life mm. right it decides where where you go what you become who you become and so when people say to me and give examples of people that dropped out of school it still made it I say to them they're one in a billion it's, right yeah. when <laughs> when it's you're true. quoting Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and all of that I say well they had a choice right they they got into Harvard so they mm. had that education. They then decided not to pursue that to be able to build something else. You can't compare a young girl born in rural Africa or rural Asia and say to them they could go off and invent something and become great. The exactly. chances are ridiculously mm. slim. They, they can't even communicate, mm. let alone invent something invent something great. So, yeah, so that's why I'd advocate for it. And, and also because I think that the world still needs to do something about this 136 million girls that are out of school today. Um, the world needs to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. I often think of education as being like the key thing that is going to help break cycles of poverty. Because when you educate, you inspire, but you give fundamental skills that are going to make the world Mm -hmm. of difference when it comes to these people accessing the job market. And then in terms of like the decisions they make when they raise their, when they raise their own children and the next generations, Mm -hmm. like it's not just about one person's life, like we're talking about the entire you know future generations to come I yeah absolutely absolutely love it and and the title of the book is called the girl with the louding voice now when I first picked it up I was like oh that's interesting like what does that mean (laughs) like and I guess your assumption is like oh maybe it means a voice that's loud or a voice that gets louder but I think as the book as the book kind of develops and we hear Aduni and she actually coins this phrase uh, she coins the word and to me, I feel like 
there's a difference between something being loud and something being mm. louding. Now, just because something mm. is loud doesn't mean that it's going to be heard and doesn't mean it's going to be taken seriously or anything mm. is going to change as a result of it. And louding is like, no, something that makes people listen and something that's impactful and facilitates change and where somebody is really heard. Now, I mean, that's obviously, that's my view after reading the book. Um, but what, yeah, why did you decide to go with that title? And what was your, yeah, what was your thinking behind that? So thank you for that. And I really love your thoughts. And I, and I love hearing from different people what louding means to them. And I've heard so many wonderful, wonderful things. But I think Aduni, in this case, is a deliberate choice. So she she could have said, I want a loud voice because... Mm. Her mother said, I want you to have a loud voice. So it's not like she didn't understand the English mm. that she was trying to say there. This was deliberate. Um, and she coined that word, like you said, because for her, a louding voice is about not just thinking about yourself. It's about leaving a legacy mm. and changing lives beyond the now. It's mm. about because she understands that getting an education is a lifelong thing. So I've talked about the foundation years, but even beyond that, I'm, I'm still getting an education. I, by speaking to you, I'm getting educated. So it's a lifelong thing. It's something that needs to continue to happen. And for that to continue to happen, she needs to ensure that the people coming behind her, um, the girls in her village also have a chance at that. Mm. So she says in a part of the book, she says, I want to walk into a room and I want my voice to be heard without me even saying a word. Mm. That's what louding means. It means all of who you are as a person, mm. what makes you unique standing out and becoming something great but also helping the people behind you and then all of what you said as well it's being heard is using her voice her education to ensure that she's able to um, contribute to policies effect mm -hmm. change address world leaders do all the great things that no one expects a girl like her to do yeah and, and Aduni is. is is one of the like the most empathetic characters I think that has been written like mm. she's so incredibly sweet and going through <laughs> such, such turmoil but you really feel it like when she when she when she hears of things that other girls are going through or that there's a character in the book that that has um, a lot of trauma we're not gonna mm. give away too much but the sort of the pain that Aduni feels when she's witnessing all these hardships like it really comes through the pages of the book honestly like such a such a beautiful character and really yeah really kind of she she does she wants all girls and all women to be safe and to be thriving mm. and to be happy mm -hmm. and um you know we, we so we talked about the fact that she she coins this word and part of that is throughout the book well the whole book is written in this uh I guess it's called non-standard English so it's not it's not English English as, as mm -hmm. we know it mm -hmm. and it's not really um like any other form of English I I found it really interesting because not only was it like broken English or showing somebody that didn't have a full grasp of English or like English with a mm -hmm. Nigerian accent it wasn't even that mm -hmm. it was it was mm -hmm. somebody it was <laughs> it was Aduni's own language in many ways mm -hmm. because she was taking words that she knew in English and she knew the definition and she wanted to say something that was not quite that word and so mm -hmm. she would kind of 
make it up as as what made sense to her which makes complete sense because in english like we have random words for things that don't even make sense to be <laughs> exactly. to be the thing right <laughs> so mm-hmm. um i i really liked it but what for you what was the thinking behind writing in this uh non-standard english and what was the process like for you yeah thanks i think that um the non-standard english was a way of i think it really came from a trying to reflect or to sort of respect the way that the girls, some of the girls that were maids used to speak. Because, of course, they were not educated. They had to drop out of school or not even mm. go to school to be able to serve families. And because English is the official language in Nigeria, um, they had to find a way to, 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 to navigate the language that they were not afforded the chance to be able to learn how to construct properly. But I also found out that you know, they, they did this quite brilliantly by inventing words and all of that. So, of course, when I came to writing Adunia, I wanted to give her that that agency, that respect to do that. But also because in Nigeria and also parts of the world, in the UK, where I came uh, sort of 22 years ago now as a student, there is this um, reverence for your ability to speak very good English in a certain way. In Nigeria, people that don't speak very good English automatically look down upon. It's almost like we immediately see you as less than, mm. uh, as a second-class citizen, even within Nigeria. And in the UK, for me, I was always met with surprise and shock, especially back then as a Black woman. You know, I'm, I'm in a store, I'm, I'm working. I remember my, one of my first jobs was working in a store. And... Um, I'm speaking English and people are asking me and instead of focusing on what I'm trying to sell, they're asking how come I can speak very good English and how oh, am yeah. I sound so smart? Mm-hmm. And it just used to really irritate me and, and, and surprise me. And and I realized this is a, a lack of education as well. Is mm-hmm. because you asking me how come I speak so well, do not understand that I've come from a part of the world that speaking English is the is our official language. Mm-hmm. And two, that my ability to speak English has nothing to do with anything in my brain right so to speak is not a measure of intelligence which I didn't say so I think it was just coming together and then using that character who doesn't speak very good English to then school and educate women like big madam who have children abroad and Mm. who can't make (laughs) certain decisions for themselves so it was kind of doing that and and how I achieved that was you know you know trying to invent words but also doing a literal translation of my mother tongue which is Yoruba um, into English, which you would find that many people that speak dual languages or three or four languages, when you try to do a literal translation into English, it often sounds quite stilted, but you still get a sense of what the yeah. person is trying to say. And I, I I do it even with my kids. Even before I wrote The Girl with the Louding Voice, I would say things to my kids and they will start laughing and be like, mom, you just said whatever. And I'm saying to them, look, sorry, I translated it to hmm. so you in my mother tongue and I just found it quite fascinating and yeah so that's where we that came from it was really interesting but I mean more than interesting like it was really fascinating I think because it gave us insight into Aduni's mind um, mm. and into her development as a character that we may have not like missed in other ways had mm-hmm. it just been in mm-hmm. in standard English yeah so it was really uh, really fascinating and obviously the book you write a lot about the status almost of women and their acceptance and validation in society and how they are dispensable and replaceable. And, you know, like Aduni is essentially she's sold and uh, we see, you know, women experience all kinds of things throughout the book. And one of the things that you write about is fertility. 
and it was actually a very difficult part of the book to read it was it was really sad quite traumatic um why did you decide to include that element in the book and what was what was behind that I think that sort of being a woman that has grown up both in Nigeria and the United Kingdom and being around the Nigerian community Mm. and and I've spoken to hundreds of women from different parts of the world and this is not a problem unique to Nigeria, right? Where the burden of fertility is almost 100% on the woman. So you will find in, for those that go to church in churches, when they want to announce programs around fertility, it's the women stay behind after church. Mm -hmm. So you can pray to have a baby. And when you're looking at sort of traditional ways for those that sort of do sacrifices or whatever it is, it's the women who do these things. So I was always wondering, you know, it takes two people um to make it to make a baby for a family that wants one why is it always the woman that suffers it now i have a friend who um went through something very very similar to what tia went through and she's educated and she's enlightened and she studied abroad and all of that but she's still in the course of trying to to get pregnant and doing all sorts of treatments and ivf and all of that still had to to sort of suffer Mm. in ways that, and, and she comes from a very educated family mm. but when it comes to to things around fertility I think all of these things are suspended right education all of that and it's everyone looks at the woman because we all need someone to blame yeah. and a woman is easy to blame and so she gave me that permission and I really honor that and respect that to tell her story mm. through Tia um, and so that's where that came from and it's harrowing but it's the truth and it happens, and it's not a, a problem unique to Nigeria. I think different countries across the world have different beliefs and superstitions, and women would do whatever it takes often to try to to deal with whatever it is that they're facing. And and because, of course, um, the issue of fertility it often is a very open thing. Like you can't um, you can't pretend that you have kids. You know, unless you choose to sort of adopt and it's nobody's business, but especially in Nigeria, you look at a family that's been married for five, six, seven years and everybody's asking questions. What am I saying five years? A year into the family getting married, everyone's asking questions and everyone's looking at the woman. What are you waiting for? Without understanding whether she's been battling stuff, whether she doesn't even want kids. Exactly. Nobody yeah. cares. It's and it's 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 a business that is everyone's business and it shouldn't be everybody's business. People should not be prescribing stuff. Yeah. To you, because it's not their business. I just really, really wanted to talk about that and how the mother-in-law sort of waded into Tia's marriage and tried to impose her thoughts and beliefs on her. And she had no choice, even with all her education, but to comply. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a definitely a really great thing that you decided to include in the book and, and to write about, because I think it's not something that gets talked about nearly enough. Um, yeah. And it's really difficult because I guess the one side of it is that it just where it stems from is this idea that for a woman to be validated or respected mm-hmm. or or to even feel like a successful woman, whatever whatever that means, um, yeah. is is to be a mother. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not everybody's journey and everybody's experience like some people Mm -hmm. can't have children some people don't want to have children um and and you know that's their choice and some people want to have children later in life or they want to have Mm -hmm. them early and then they don't want to have any more after they've had two and whatever like that Mm -hmm. that again Mm -hmm. that's completely their choice but 
society places this huge burden on women and mm. um and then and it's always on it's always on women it's a couple will be married as you as as you said but it will be the woman that's asked questions and she, and mm. and also then you're asked things like is there something wrong? Have you been yeah. to the doctor? As if, <laughs> oh, people start offering you stuff, ideas, and and what yeah. works for them. And you're thinking, what makes you think? I'm interested in what works. I know you, it might be coming from a good place, but it's it's not your business. Exactly. And it's such, exactly. It's such a thing. Even now, exactly. it's such a thing. And I just wanted to talk about it because it, it bothers me. Yeah, and and also um, on that as well, I think just what's really interesting is in the book as well like you you show this kind of like this desperation that women uh some women will do whatever it takes to get pregnant Mm. and actually and I haven't seen it so much in literature like Mm -hmm. I have obviously like Ayubami Adwaya writes about it uh really beautifully Mm -hmm. and stay with me but it's not really that and it's a really interesting phenomena because you're writing what you said it's like all your education or your some whatever mm. will go out of the window because you're Absolutely. just like oh I'm gonna go to this uh shrine mm-hmm. in this remote mm-hmm. location I'm gonna pray because I really you know so and so went and mm-hmm. they came back and they got pregnant and so I'm gonna go mm-hmm. and it's just really fascinating how that kind of the 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 desire can lead people to do things that are not in line with their rational thinking or their education mm-hmm. and, and even Aduni she comments to that effect mm-hmm. in the book as well she says like mm-hmm. even education doesn't spare women from these mm-hmm. kind of practices and I just thought it was mm-hmm. really like really fascinating and really interesting to do it in that thing uh sorry in in the way that you did so when it came to writing the book what was your favorite part of writing the story um, of course it was Adjani and discovering her and you know she would I would often laugh out loud when I think of something she would say yeah and I just couldn't wait to get back to writing I really loved writing that character but I think also writing that scene with Tia mm. the scene we just talked about I think that was one of the hardest but also the favorite parts to write because I had to try and find the balance between being too gruesome and too explicit versus trying to get the point across and making sure that I, first of all, was telling the story or, or painting the sin the way it should be painted without sort of watering down anything, mm. but at the same time without being too explicit. So finding the right, right balance. But yeah. I also, also really enjoyed writing Big Madame from Adonis Eyes because that was just fun for me. I was just taking the piss with that. And, <laughs> and, and I love to have that creative liberty to do that. I could only do that because I was Adonis looking at her that way. But in the eyes of any other character, you probably would not have have you know been as much fun yeah absolutely and I think there are times in the book where you kind of forget that Aduni is a child because she's thinking about such big things and she's going through so much you forget that she's she's a child but that the way that she describes big mama you're like oh this is a this is a child like this is is very uh kind of like un you know unfiltered creative innocent in 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 many ways as well so that was really Mm -hmm. nice um what do you hope uh, readers will take away from your book oh gosh I think there's there's a lot of themes in the book I mean Mm. around being confident and using your voice and letting not letting society sort of talk you down I mean that's the whole of Adonis story she refuses to be silenced and I've heard a lot of people say to me I mean who are not even from Adonis background who have various sort of abilities and they're saying I mean I remember, I remember meeting somebody not too long ago who is autistic 
And she's saying, look, Abby, I found, you know, I was able to use my voice and think if a Duni is looked down upon and she still uses her voice, then I can do the same. So you hear all sorts of, of, of people, you know, women, married, unmarried, saying all sorts of things and learning to, to find their voice and find that which they believe they need to get out into the world there to, to make the world a better place. But I do hope that of all of these wonderful things, I hope that the theme of kindness is a thread that was running through the story. Mm. And albeit it wasn't as obvious as everything else, as a fertility and all those other themes there. Mm. What you'd see from the start of the story is Adeni's mother's kindness paved a way for Ia's kindness, mm. which paved a way for Adeni's kindness to Big Madam, which paved a way for Tia's kindness. So all through, you know, women are sort of helping each other um, consciously or subconsciously and all, all I'm trying to say is that a little bit of kindness can often go a very long way yeah oh that's so lovely honestly that's so <laughs> lovely and yeah I mean kindness definitely it does go through and throughout the book and although Aduni experiences so much and the, the characters experience so much she is always kind uh she and I think mm. also believes that it will that it, that it will come back in some way as well mm. are you obviously the girl with the louding voice has been out for a few years now um can we expect anything from you anytime soon what are you working on at the moment what's happening with your writing now? <laughs> oh <I mean, laughs> it's been it's been two years that feels like yesterday i think we had the whole huge whole of the pandemic that stopped up the whole of 2020 when the book was released and then 2021 was just a year of trying to adjust mm. away so i think 2022 was when i began to think okay what next mm. um i'm still exploring ideas and playing with different things and seeing what would stick mm. um so it's a bit too early to to sort of tell or share but I'm hoping that, you know, maybe something exciting will take me back to, to Ikati and see if we can explore something else. Uh, that's Adunis Village or or maybe not. We'll see. Well, brilliant. Honestly, I'm. it has been so lovely to speak to you today. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time. I wish we could carry on, but, but we must finish. And I will keep an eye out eagerly for any <laughs> anything else you produce. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much to Abby for such an insightful and wonderful conversation. I really hope you enjoyed every moment. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow The Diverse Bookshelf on your podcast platform of choice and connect with me on social media. I'd really appreciate it if you could rate and leave a review as it helps more people find the podcast.